If you like the Maniac on the Loose Scary Stories podcast, please subscribe on whatever platform you listen on. Feel free to leave a nice review, too, if you like. And don't be shy about letting other people know about the show. All of these things help us out a ton, and we appreciate it very much. Now let's get to some scary stories. If you like scary stories, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Maniac on the Loose Scary Stories Podcast. I am your host, just your friendly neighborhood, Maniac on the Loose. Visit ManiacOnTheLoose.com, sign up for our newsletter, and I'll give you some free stuff. And now, sit back and relax. Keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle at all times, and enjoy the ride. Baby Monitor Horror Stories The Voice My baby boy was two months old. Being a 23-year-old single mom, I tended to be very cautious when it came to the baby. Whenever I put the baby in his crib, I'd make sure the baby monitor was on and that I had the parent unit near me at all times. If I ever heard any peep from him, I'd sneak up to his room and check. I'd even check if he were quiet for too long. One afternoon, I fed him and laid him down in his crib. He was out like a light, so I went downstairs to relax and watch TV for a bit. I nearly jumped from my seat when I heard the monitor crack with static. I then heard a female voice say, He hit me again. The voice was very garbled, but I could make out the words clearly. Someone was in the baby's room. I rushed upstairs, screaming for whoever the person was to leave my baby alone. When I got to the room, there was nobody there. My baby was stirring from the commotion I made and started to cry. I picked him up and started searching for whoever I heard over the baby monitor. I looked everywhere upstairs and then searched downstairs, but nobody was there. Whose voice was that? Was somebody actually in my house? Maybe my house was haunted. As my mind flooded with these questions, another burst of static emitted from the parent unit I now had attached to my belt. Again, the static was followed by the same voice. This time it said, I didn't do anything wrong. Still holding my baby, I rushed back upstairs to his room where the main monitor was. Again, The room was empty. As I stood there wondering what was going on, I heard another spurt of static, followed by that familiar voice. What am I going to do? This time I was actually standing in the room when the voice emerged, so I knew there was nobody in the house. This was a huge relief, but I was still curious as to what was going on with the strange voice coming through the baby monitor. 
Could it be a ghost trying to communicate with me? From that point on, I decided to keep the parent unit speaker with me at all times. The next night, at 2.15 a.m., I heard the voice again. This time, the woman was difficult to understand because she was crying. She kept saying, I need help. Nobody will help me. The transmission of the voice was often staggered. I could understand full sentences well, and then there were stretches where I could hear the voice, but it was shrouded in static. A notable transmission came through one evening while I was eating dinner. The voice was so clear, it were as though the woman was sitting next to me. He beat me again. I think he's going to kill me. I held the speaker to my mouth and called back to it. Hello? Hello, can you hear me? This wasn't the first time I had tried that, but I never got a response. My house was rather old. It was built in the 1950s. Could this be the ghostly voice of one of the previous residents? The following night at 3.30 a.m., I got the scariest of all the communications. At first, I just heard heavy, labored breathing, and then the woman's exhausted voice manifested. I killed him. She continued speaking, but it was so garbled that I couldn't understand what she was saying. That is, until her final sentence. I cut him up and buried him in the backyard. She killed him? Had someone actually been murdered in this house at some time? I was hoping the voice would come through again and possibly give more information about what happened, but nothing. The following days were filled with radio silence, and I spent most of my time wondering who the voice belonged to. Who did she kill? Which room in my house did she kill him in? Where in the backyard did she bury him? I contemplated whether I should start digging into the history of the house and who lived here before. I considered hiring someone with a ground-penetrating radar machine to survey my backyard to see if they found anything. Or maybe I should just leave it all be. It was a week later when I finally heard the voice again. I had just finished dinner and laid the baby down in his crib when the burst of static literally made me jump. After catching my breath, I waited and listened. Finally, I heard the unmistakable voice again. What she said was unexpected. One large pepperoni pizza with mushrooms? Please deliver to 718 Cavalier Drive. What the hell was this? A ghost was ordering pizza? But my address was 716 Cavalier Drive. 718 was my neighbor's house. I stared out my window for the next 30 minutes until the pizza delivery man pulled into my neighbor's driveway. My petite neighbor met him at his car and exchanged some money for the pizza. As she turned and made her way back toward the house, 
I could see the bruises on her face. Then it all made sense. It wasn't a ghost I was hearing over the baby monitor. Somehow my baby monitor was picking up signals from the neighbor's cell phone. My neighbor had killed her husband, cut him up, and buried him in their backyard. I went upstairs to my baby's room and peered out the window into the backyard of my neighbor. In the middle of the yard next to an old oak tree, I could see a freshly covered patch of ground. I never said anything or told anyone. The neighbor's voice still comes through over the baby monitor from time to time. I make a point not to eavesdrop, but I can confirm one thing. She sure sounds a lot happier. Baby Monitor Horror Stories Hush, little baby. I'm a 29-year-old married woman. My husband and I were sitting down for dinner when there was a frantic knock at the door. We rushed to the front door. It was our good friend and neighbor from across the street. Her name was Rose. She was in her late 30s and seemed distressed. She explained that her grandmother had taken a turn for the worse, and they weren't expecting her to make it through the night. Rose's grandmother had been a heavy smoker and had been battling chronic emphysema for some time, so this wasn't a call that was unexpected. But I knew Rose had a close relationship with her granny, and this was tough on her. Rose asked if I wouldn't mind babysitting their eight-month-old daughter while her and her husband Ron went to the hospital. I told her I'd be happy to. My husband volunteered to come with me, but it was Monday night and he was a big football fan, so I told him just to stay home, enjoy the game, and that I'd call him if I needed anything. When I got to their house, they informed me that they had just laid their daughter down and she was fast asleep. They handed me the baby monitor and encouraged me to make myself at home and just check on her if she started making any noise. I settled in on the couch and was deep into a movie when I heard a little noise from the baby monitor. It sounded like rubbing of fabric, as if the baby were moving around a bit. I could also hear the baby let out a series of mild whimpers. I didn't think anything about it until I heard a woman singing. Hush, little baby, don't say a word. Mama's gonna buy you a mockingbird. If that mockingbird won't sing, Mama's gonna buy you a diamond ring. Although I had no kids of my own, my motherly instincts kicked in, and I leaped from my seat and bolted up the stairs to the baby's room. The baby was sitting up in the crib and was holding a huge grin. She seemed excited as she moved her arms up and down and let out a series of giggles. There was nobody else in the room. I rushed the baby downstairs with me, called my husband, and made him come across the street and stay with me. When he got there, he thoroughly checked out the entire house and said he saw no signs of anything unusual. The baby fell asleep on the couch and my husband watched the rest of the football game. 
I sat there in a daze. I just kept thinking about that creepy voice singing that song. I couldn't get it out of my head. Later that night, Rose and Ron arrived back home. I could see that Rose had been crying, and they confirmed that her grandmother had passed away. They asked me if everything was okay while they were gone. I told them about the strange incident when I heard a woman singing Hush Little Baby over the monitor. Rose turned white. Ron helped Rose into a seat. It took her a moment to collect herself, and then she explained that whenever her grandmother visited them and held their baby daughter, she'd always rock her back and forth and sing, Hush, little baby. Hush, little baby, don't say a word. Mama's gonna buy you a mockingbird. Whitlock Manor. I'm a thief, but I'm not some nickel-and-dime punk who is satisfied with chancing serious time in prison for a measly couple of hundred bucks. I'm a high-end thief. If I'm going to risk my neck, the payoff has to be worth the risk. Thus, my targets tend to be extremely fancy residences that clearly belong to someone who has a lot of money. When I saw the for sale sign in front of the old Whitlock Manor, I got excited. The place was enormous and sturdily built. It was very castle-like with a myriad of sharp roof points. A spherical turret was prominent on one side of the structure. Winding ivory covered the face of the home. There was a cobblestone walkway that encircled the house, leading past an array of life-sized animal-sculpted hedges. Bears, lions, tigers, sharks, gorillas, it was a who's who of animals you would never want to meet face to face. The Whitlock Manor was old, but it was well kept. It was also currently sitting vacant. Being a wise thief who does plenty of homework before setting out for a burglary, this was the perfect opportunity for me to get inside the house and give it a thorough inspection. I'd get a good look at all the doors, windows, locks, and scope out any weak points that will assist with the ease of re-entering the home once it's occupied. It also gives me a good lay of the land for potential escape routes should I be discovered. Whitlock Manor was located at the far end of a long, quiet road. The road looped around to a busier street. While there were a few other well-to-do houses bordering the entrance of the road, the immediate area adjoining Whitlock Manor was sparsely populated, and a thick, dark forest surrounded it. I decided it would be best to enter late at night, this would completely eliminate the possibility of being inside when a realtor decided to show the property, and most people in the neighborhood would be fast asleep. All in all, the late night hour would vastly decrease my chances of getting caught. 
I parked on a back road behind the house to eliminate the chances of my car being seen and began hiking through the woods toward the house. The moon was bright this night, but the forest was tall and dense, blocking all natural illumination. I had to pull out a pen light to see my way through. The crickets were out in abundance and were deafening. They were so loud, I could barely hear my footsteps crunching dried leaves beneath me. As I approached the forest's edge, the crickets suddenly fell silent as if something they feared was lurking within the forest. I stopped and listened closely. The wind was howling and blowing leaves, muffling what I thought to be a child's voice calling out. The voice was distant. It could be a child from the neighborhood, but the voice sounded extremely young far too young for them to be out this late. I stood for several moments and continued to listen. Far away I could hear the subtle ring of wind chimes. I convinced myself that was the culprit for the apparent child's voice and continued on. I stepped through the edge of the forest onto the property of the Whitlock Manor. The towers on the manor's east wing loomed over me, and I felt a shiver go down my spine. I'm a seasoned burglar. I don't spook easy. This was unusual for me, but there was just something about this place that didn't seem quite right. This didn't deter me, however, and I quickly found a first-floor window that was unlocked. I climbed through and had successfully entered Whitlock Manor. I appeared to be in a dining room, a large chandelier hung over the room. Moonlight shining through the window shined through the crystals of the chandelier, creating a slight disco ball effect. I started with the windows to see which ones were the easiest to enter from outside and what the lock mechanisms were like. All the while, I felt tense. I had broken out in goosebumps and could feel the hair standing up on the back of my neck. Again, unusual for me. I'm always cool, calm, and collected on the job. And this wasn't even a job. It was a quick survey of the place. Nothing should have been alarming me, but something felt strange about this house. As I fiddled with one of the locks on the window, I jumped when I heard a door shut upstairs directly above me. Perhaps I wasn't alone. I instinctively looked up at the ceiling where I heard the sound come from. I crouched down and went silent. If someone else was here, I would certainly hear footsteps. As I stared at the ceiling and listened, I felt a drop of water splash onto my forehead. I quickly shined my light to the ceiling and could see a small drip. Probably not a good sign for prospective buyers. After another moment of listening to silence, I continued on. I felt as though I had a good lay of the land on the first floor, so I walked up a thick ornate staircase to the second floor. My main goal on this floor was to check for hidden wall safes or hollow sections of floors in closets that one may hide valuables. 
As I stealthily made my way down the hallway, I let out an audible gasp when I heard a splash of water from a room at the end of the hall. It was subtle, but distinct, like someone gently moving whilst in a full bathtub. Again, I went silent and listened. The notion that someone would be in a vacant house bathing at this time of night was preposterous, but that was my impression when I heard the splash. I must have waited a good five minutes without hearing anything else, and was just about to start moving again when I heard the unmistakable sound of a young child crying. It was coming from the same area I heard the splash. There was someone else here, and it was a child. Perhaps they came into the house during the day and got hurt. They could be trapped. Hell, they could die if they didn't get assistance. Obviously, I couldn't call the police. I'd be arrested for breaking and entering, so I opted to take matters into my own hands. I rushed down the hall to the room the crying was emanating from in an attempt to help the child. As I opened the door to the room, the crying stopped. I was standing in a bathroom, an empty bathroom. There was not a soul in sight. I could smell the stale scent of old soap as I made my way over the black and white checkered tile floor to the claw-footed bathtub. The bathtub was empty. I ran my hand over the bottom of the tub. It was dry, as was the faucet when I felt around the rim. Clearly, this bathtub had not been used in some time. I called out and my voice echoed through the empty rooms of Whitlock Manor. I was alone. My blood ran cold. I felt numb. This house gave me the creeps, so I hurried down the steps. Midway down, the crying began again, and I could hear intense splashing, followed by a high-pitched scream. I raced through the front door of the house and didn't bother shutting it behind me. When I reached the road, I stopped and looked back up at Whitlock Manor. I saw a faint light in one of the rooms housed at the highest point of the manor. Behind the window's curtain, I could make out the silhouette of a child. As I stared up at the figure, I could see them begin to draw the curtains back so as to see me better. As the curtain moved away, the moonlight glistened upon a ghostly white, prune-skinned girl. She was expressionless as she watched me. The trek through the woods to my vehicle felt like it took forever. I was continually hearing dainty footsteps behind me, only to turn and find nothing. When I finally made it to my car, I peeled away. Later, I did a little research on Whitlock Manor and discovered that the original owner of the manor Baxter Whitlock drowned his six-year-old daughter in a bathtub on the second floor.
The Scumberland Monster The Cumberland River is a major waterway that is over 700 miles long. It begins near the Appalachian Mountains in eastern Kentucky and winds through southern Kentucky and north-central Tennessee. It passes through Nashville and Clarksville, Tennessee before spilling into the Ohio River near Paducah, Kentucky. Some people, especially near the Nashville area of the river, refer to the Cumberland River as the Scumberland River. Most people believe that reference to be in regards to the pollution problems the river once had. What most people don't realize is that this nickname was given to the river for an odd oval of scum that would occasionally emerge from the depths of the river and glide along the surface. The unusual scum defies explanation, as it appears to float along seemingly of its own accord, often moving against the wind and the river's current. When approached, the scum will submerge and disappear. There have been many sightings, but few actual encounters. Those few who have encountered the Scumberland monster tell tales of terror. 1794 In the summer of 1794, flatboats were used on the Cumberland River to bring settlers to Nashville. During one of the journeys, settlers reported seeing a large dark mass in the center of the river before them. One of the settlers described it as looking like a large mass of seaweed floating on the surface of the river. They were surprised that the mass was floating toward them against the flow of the river. As it approached the flatbed, another settler stated that there were distinct edges to whatever it was. As the mass passed under the flatboat, the settlers felt a hefty bump that knocked them off balance before the mass of darkness emerged behind their boat. They thought that to be the end of it, but were surprised when the dark mass glided back underneath the boat and bumped them again. It then moved to the side of the boat and followed along with the flatboat for several minutes before sliding back underneath and bumping them a third time. This time, when the mass emerged from behind the flatboat, it continued to slowly drift off down the river, disappearing into the distance. 1817 a fisherman named Dabney Cole was fishing off the shores of the Cumberland River and was having a mite of success. He reported that the fish stopped biting the moment he noticed a gloomy patch of scum bubble to the surface of the river and float over near the shoreline. Dabney said when the scum broke the surface of the water, he thought it appeared to have a fleshy texture to it. The fisherman said that there was a large amount of vegetation near the shoreline that he was frequently getting his fishing hooks caught on. 
He said he watched on as the gloomy scum slid atop the vegetation and sat motionless over it for several moments before slowly floating away. Dabney said the strangest thing about the encounter was that after the scum moved away, the vegetation it had settled over was gone. 1865 In 1865, the Cumberland River flooded the city of Nashville. As the water rose, many establishments were evacuating, including a house of prostitution. One of the prostitutes, Carla Devante, said that as the water flooded into the first floor of the brothel, she noticed what she simply referred to as a dark spot on top of the water. She watched in horror as the dark spot swam from room to room, as if searching. As evacuators urged Miss Devante along, she said she heard the anguished cry of one of her fellow prostitutes coming from one of the first floor rooms. Carla and several of those helping to evacuate the building rushed to the aid of the woman. As she entered the room, Carla reported feeling something rough brush past her leg and turned to watch the dark spots swim out of the house. When Carla and the others entered the room, they found a prostitute named Emily Blanche standing on top of a dresser above the water. She was drenched. Miss Blanche claimed that something strong grabbed her and pulled her under the water. She was able to break the surface of the water and let out a scream, at which time whatever had a hold of her let her go. 1904 between 1870 and 1930, the Cumberland River was used heavily for logging. Bert Crenshaw, a foreman at a local logging company, had reported that over the span of two days, he had more logs unaccounted for than he'd typically experience in a month. On one of those nights, one of Bert's employees, Kent Jacobs, came up with what he considered to be a preposterous story. The following is the written testimony Kent Jacobs gave to his boss. I heard a commotion in the river. It sounded like what I can only imagine a whale jumping out of the water and splashing against the ocean sounds like. The moon was bright enough for me to gaze out over the dark Cumberland River and see the logs floating in the water. They were bobbing up and down like waves were crashing against them, but the night was still, so it didn't make sense. That's when I witnessed a massive black blob emerge from the water and envelop one of the logs. It pulled it down under the water. I kept expecting the log to come bobbing back up, but it never did. I watched on as this creature ingested three more of the logs. Kent's testimony was dismissed as a wild tall tale from somebody likely to be in an inebriated state. However, those close to Kent claimed that he was not a drinker and that he was an honest man not prone to telling such extraordinary stories. 1938 
An unnamed man was fishing in a canoe on the Cumberland River when he encountered the scum. The man says he hooked an enormous fish that was giving him a hell of a fight. As the man battled with the fish, he noticed an oval of scum skimming just beneath the surface toward his hooked fish. The man watched on as the scum submerged deeper into the water at the point of the hooked fish, and then suddenly, the man felt an incredible pull on his line. He described it as similar to when he hooked a hammerhead shark off the coast of Florida. The man tried to hold on, but his fishing pole was yanked from his hands. He said the pole was pulled under the water and then re-emerged, bobbing up and down in the disturbed water. Being that it was his favorite rod and reel, the man began paddling the canoe toward the fishing pole in an attempt to reclaim it. Before he could reach his location, the man witnessed what he described as a smooth black tentacle reach up from under the water, wrap itself around his fishing pole, and pull it under. 1972 A father and son fishing trip went horribly wrong while fishing from a small motorboat. The son said they were having a fun day fishing and had caught plenty of fish for a planned fish dinner at their camping site that evening. The boy said the boat's motor blade got hung up on what his father thought was a log. However, when the man reached down into the water to feel for the supposed log, he found no obstructions whatsoever. Being that they were clear from impediments, the father bent over and began pulling the pull rope to get the motor started again. That's when something aggressively hit the boat, sending his father toppling over the side and into the water. The son reported seeing a circle of slick black mud cover his father and drag him underneath the water. The man's body was never found. 1995 My name is Chuck Meadows. My girlfriend Sue and I were avid swimmers and we lived close to the Cumberland River. We had spent our lives swimming in the river and never encountered anything strange. I had heard of the Scumberland monster but always thought it was just nonsense. It was July in 1995 when Sue and I decided to race across the Cumberland. We had done this many times. I usually won, but she occasionally got the best of me. The day was beautiful. Blue sky, puffy white clouds, and the water was still as glass. Sue was on fire this day. I don't know what she had for breakfast, but she was killing me. By the time she reached the shore, I still had another 50 feet to go. That's when I heard her start screaming. At first I thought she was just cheering me on, but then I realized she was saying, There's something behind you. I turned and looked over my shoulder and I could see it racing toward me. The body of the creature was just barely breaking the surface of the water, but I could see it. It was smooth and dark black, like a huge polished oval stone. When it collided with me, it knocked me dizzy, but I had my senses enough to where I could feel something wrapping around my ankle. 
It was so strong, like a giant muscle constricting me, and it burned like fire. I could feel that it was getting ready to pull me under, so I let out a high-pitched scream, knowing I was about to die. I'm not sure why, but it turned me loose. I managed to swim to the shore, and Sue rushed me to the hospital. The doctor said I had third-degree burns on my ankle and described it as being similar to a hot tar burn. I fully recovered, and while I still do like to swim, I'll never go into the Cumberland River again. Missing Monster Nobody has reported seeing the Scumberland Monster in over 25 years. This has led some to believe that whatever it is, perhaps its life cycle has run out. Others believe that the scum may have crossed over into the Ohio River, which connects with the Mississippi River. With the amount of lakes, rivers, and canals that connect with these rivers, many fear that what some refer to as the Scumberland Monster could be lurking in the waters just about anywhere. We hope you enjoyed the show. We're dying for you to come back for more. Please subscribe to the show on whatever platform you listen on. We'll see you soon. Very soon. Hey everyone, if you're enjoying the Maniac on the Loose Scary Stories podcast, we hope you'll support the show. The show is a lot of work and your support is greatly appreciated. There are several ways you can support the show. Just go to maniacontheloose.com slash support. That's maniacontheloose.com slash support. Thank you so much.